This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Horse Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson. It's my pleasure to introduce a man whose whole life has been dedicated to promoting non-violent training for horses. He's won numerous awards, including Personality of the Year. He's the author of several best-selling books and an advisor to the Queen. But we love him because as equestrians, he's our friend and mentor. Please welcome the man who listens to horses, Monty Roberts. How are you? Good, Amy. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks so much for joining us. I know that you're traveling all over the place all over the world at the moment doing your clinics, aren't you? I am indeed. But there's one little glitch in your introduction. Oh no, what have I done? I wasn't in the horse business until I was three. Oh really? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> How Before old were you? that I was just learning to walk and talk. <laughs> How old were you when you first got on a horse then? Oh, they tell me I was riding by myself at two. Oh really? Yeah, I, I remember critically remember, crystal clear, um, winning my first trophy at four. Wow. What, yeah, that's what? my first real memory. I can remember riding around a bit before that, but I don't remember specifics about it. But I remember four-year-old, but 1939, mm-hmm. June, I won my first trophy. And what was that for? What did you compete in? Well, they called it Junior Stock Horse. It's a, it's a Western competition. And um, in all fairness, I was up against kids that rode one hour a week, and I was riding five or six horses six or seven hours a day uh, at the time. I hadn't started school, um, not that I ever spent much time in school uh, until university time, because they they homeschooled me and and kept me on horses. But um, I was up against kids that were, you know, just normal kids, and I wasn't a normal kid. I was riding six or seven horses for a year before 1939 um, and probably between five and seven hours a day on, on a horse. Oh my gosh, so you've really been doing it a, lo- a long, long time then. And did you have nerves at that age? Nerves? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny thing you ask that question because um, I have never known uh, stage fright or nervousness in my life. I just haven't known it. And um, in my studies of behavioral sciences, um, there were a lot of professors that asked the question, why, why do you not 
uh, act in the normal way because they could have a, a heart rate monitor on me and put me in front of 10,000 people and I, I'd be the same as I am when I'm speaking with you now. And uh, it was quite uh, an interesting study for them to do while I was in my courses, particularly at Zurich University. Hmm. And um, the reason is that I suffered such abuse um, from my father growing up that when I was in front of an audience, there was never any abuse. And so I migrated toward things that might make other people nervous um, as a safety zone or a safety place. So, so is it the fact that that, that actually that environment made you feel more comfortable? Sure. There were a lot of people around. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm in, I'm in good shape now. And, and how long, do you mind if I ask, how long was it until you actually left the grips of your dad? Well, at nine and ten years of age, it started to slow down because if he was ever found out, um, I had 72 broken bones before I was the age of puberty. Oh, Monte. Yeah, so if that was found out, guess what would happen the first thing? Our business would go down the drain. He was a teacher. He had a writing school with lots of instructors working for him. And he did, was dependent upon people sending their children for him to, to him to learn to ride. And I would lose my horse. I would lose my house. I would be on the streets if I ever let it out. So it was uh, fairly easy to, uh, to hide it. Mm. You know, it's really sad because I hear this story a lot and I've heard it quite recently, actually, with the same with some kids at a yard that I've been to where they're so afraid of losing their horses that they don't actually talk about what's going on at home and that the threat of the horse going away and being taken off them just makes them get on with it. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And then, you know, when the war broke out, we were moved off of our facility, which was a public-owned facility owned by the city, and we were moved to a much smaller one, and my first horse, who took me to victory on that first trophy, and many others too, was sent to the butcher without my knowledge. Oh. And that one, that one really got me angry. What, did, did you say anything? I said a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's that's maybe how you you you've grown such a great connection with horses? Because if you were homeschooled and you didn't have you know the the, the affection or the love at home that kids crave, that you then turn to horses for that. Absolutely, um, they were my my teachers, my providers. They were my friends um, and protectors. They. My mother would hide me in Ginger's manger with hay over the top of me uh, if my father was on a rant about something. Um, so, yeah, they were everything to me imaginable, and they still are. Mm. Well, they're just majestic, aren't they? And I think there's so much about them that we don't we don't understand. You've learned loads, and you're educating us and trying to show this this way. And we're like little sponges. We're like, keep telling us because we're trying to find it ourselves. And each time you get that little bit of, of you see it in their eye and you see that, that majesticness and that bond and relationship, you then, you then want more. There's so much more about them that we still don't understand. Yeah, don't remind me of it. I may be one, you know. <laughs> and uh, 
or going on 81 in May. And, and uh, it's so true that I have so much more to learn. And I have to try to leave it with the next generation to go on and cause this, um, this investigation to go on in perpetuity. And that's what drives me and keeps me going to, I'm going on tour in March uh, mm. in England, as you know. And, and um, it's what keeps me getting up in the morning. It's an amazing passion. Would you say it's more than a passion? It's in your blood now. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> I, think, I think we all are. It's just that I'd quite love to spend all day, every day with horses. I just haven't found a way to get paid for it yet. <laughs> well, I have. Uh, not that the pay is all that good, but nonetheless, um, I just worked this morning with a, a treasure, a beautiful filly that was so misunderstood and they practically killed her to get her in the starting stalls for the first time at a, a race course here in California. And the owner saw it, and she was bleeding, and people were injured, and she was injured. And um, they decided to give me a call only after all of this went on. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with her now, and she's just begging me to get it right, you know. And you can you can watch her want to get it right. Um, so I, I hope... I can, before I'm out of here, I hope I can leave enough of this information behind so that it reaches perpetuity and we can go on. We need critical mass here. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about a, a new study that's just come out to, uh, for God's sake, to, to agree that there can be some communication between human and horse. Mm-hmm. And my first knowledge of the language Equus was in 1942. And you go back and you'll find that that's 70-some years ago. And what did I get for it? The most unbelievable rant of criticism that you could ever imagine. And over and over again, my life threatened. Um, what, what, who threatened your life? Oh, I, my life was threatened. My life was threatened one or two times a week um, when my first book came out. That's way up. I was already 50, almost 60 years old. And... Um, they, they, they can't take it. You can say, I'm wrong. But you can't say, my father was wrong. He was the greatest. And look what you're doing. We've been doing this for 6,000 years. And we know what we're doing. You've got to die. You fell out of a cloud from somewhere. My father said I was possessed by the devil. And it had to be beaten out of me. But you've done extremely well. I mean, you've changed the view of, of so many people in the world. And, and I, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, when I, when I introduced you, I said, you, you're our friend and our mentor. And you are because in, in our world, especially in the UK, we're very clicky and we're very used to our own ways that, that that's always been the way that we've done it. You know, there, there's no new way. We're not going to learn anything. We've always done it this way and that's the way to do it. And and I personally have felt sometimes that I'm surrounded by idiots because I'm like, seriously, there has to be another way of doing things. And that's when I learned join up. And yeah. I thought, oh, finally, there's somebody that understands that you don't have to beat a horse to get it to do something. Yeah. Well, you know, it is an, ob- it is an obligation facing those people to restudy, to retrain, to, to go through a lot of hassles for something that maybe doesn't even work. Um, you know, but it is breaking down because I've now done, oh gosh, I don't know, uh, 11,000 horses in front of public audiences mm. um, without a failure. And so somebody's got to say, maybe there's something to it. Maybe he isn't only using horses that have already been trained to do this. 
Maybe it's for real. And how would I ever get all the owners to go along with me and allow me to have them trained to do the shows and then uh, lie to people and say that they never met me before? Does it still affect you personally when, when you're hearing all this stuff and all the negative stuff? I hope it doesn't get you down. I'm not tired. I am inspired. <laughs> my critics are my best friends. Mm-hmm. Because they keep me getting up every morning. I'm going to prove them wrong. (laughs) Uh, I'll let the horses do the talking for me. I'll just keep causing really nice horses to go out there in the world. And uh, someday they will believe it. Do you think there's a certain extent of no matter how much you do, there's always going to be a few, we call them haters over here. And I, I've talked about them before. It's like a little group of people that they, they, they can't stand uh, somebody that's successful. It can be in any industry um, and they're going to troll you. Is, is it sometimes better just to let, leave them aside and think, oh, I'm just going to carry on doing my thing over here and it's working well for me and for other people that do it. So let's just keep going. Yeah. But, you know, we we have to stop once in a while and look at the other side of that coin. The Queen of England was convinced in five days that this was a better way. And she went in the Horse and Hound magazine with her picture to say this is a better way and the world has to learn about it. She is the one that uh, insisted upon the first book, which I never would have done without her encouragement. And um, Terry Pendry, who became her stud groom. Hmm. Um, Terry Pendry believed it in the first week. He didn't believe it in the first day. And he thought I had something in my pockets that I was blowing up their nose or something like that. It's like they think it's magic, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and Terry has come around and uh, what a supporter he's been over all these years. So there is that side of the coin. And there are people in virtually every country I've traveled in that really believe me. So it's now 40 countries or so. And um, this year I add uh, South Africa to it. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I'm going to South Africa. Uh, the, the tour dates are set. And um, I, in fact, on this trip, I go to England first. That's all through March. Mm-hmm. And then I go to uh, Denmark. Gosh, you're flying all over the place. Yeah, I've got to stay. I have an assistant now, so I stay in touch by email to keep the team going, and they can send these blinking things you call uh, videos uh, through email. In a few minutes, you can see what they're doing with the horse. So, yeah, it's getting very much easier to communicate these days. If you know, I've never turned one of these machines on or off, so I don't know what to do, but there are people around me, Pat had to change her life and help me with my first book with a computer. And um, we lost one whole chapter during the learning process, but um, it's somewhere in the sky, I think uh, they say. But um, (laughs) it's 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 an amazing existence we have during the course of a lifespan on this earth. And one, one has to come to appreciate it more and more all the time. God really made a mistake when he caused horse people to have to live only one lifetime because it takes a lifetime to learn it and then another lifetime to do it and and leave it with the next generation so i should be i really should have earned two lifetimes but (laughs) i I think we'll have to prepare for one (laughs) so you've passed on everything to your daughter then well i have two daughters 
Debbie uh, runs the corporate end of things. Um, I have another daughter that has her own company but runs our office here and, and, and is the day-to-day manager of the farm, and uh, that's Laurel. And Laurel uh, is a hands-on person, equine designer. She designs buildings and horse facilities. Oh, wow. And uh, no, n- n- none, of the, none of my immediate family will go on to do what I'm doing, thank God. Um, having two people obsessed with the same goal in the family would be very difficult. But um, no, I have, I have students now, literally thousands of students, some of which are rising to very, very accomplished heights. And I'm, I'm pleased with that. It's great. Yeah, they're sectioned all over the world, aren't they? I think our, our um, one that we've heard of is Kelly Marks. Kelly Marks is now 23 years doing my thing, and um, she has um, been very successful with it. Uh, Ian Vandenberg has his property, he says, because of my involvement. They were both teaching at um, Whitney College in Oxfordshire, um, mm. West Oxfordshire College in Whitney. So how did you come up with the join-up in the first place? I didn't. Really? God did. <laughs> I, only, I only observed what was already in place. I, you know, it's, you're human, so you ask that question that yeah. way. How did you come up with this? I didn't come up with it. I only observed it. I saw it happening mm-hmm. um, between horses and horses to mountain lions and horses to little black bears and uh, even I've seen it with a wolf or two. So um, I only observed what was already in place. I certainly have seen it human to horse, um, but it was in 1942 with some untrained horses that I had my first join up. I say it was my first join up. My word, when you do something for the first time, you're not likely to have it a thing of beauty, you know? And so <laughs> it, it, it happened in 42, and I know it was 42, because that's the year they moved us off the property, and I did it on the property. So it was early 1942. And um, I saw this thing. I didn't know. I didn't have a name for it. I didn't know it existed, and nobody else knew it existed because they tried to kill me when I told them about it. And they called me names and put me down. I was only seven years old. Hmm. But, um, but these horses were following me around, and I could do with them, put saddles on them and stuff that people couldn't do. And... It took four to six weeks to cause a horse to accept his first saddle, bridle, and rider, and everybody knows it, and don't you tell us any different. So from seven years old then, didn't you go down to Nevada to work with some Mustangs over there? Yeah, it's directly east. I went a little bit northeast to Nevada, um, the the Elko, Nevada area. Um, all around there were large herds of wild horses at the time. And um, they needed wild horses back in my home city for um, a particular event that they had. And they would bring them in there. And I would go and help with the um, capture of these horses. Is that where, because we've all heard of Shy Boy, which is your famous horse that you trained out in the wild with no, with nothing around. Yeah. Right. He's still here and he's still alive. He's, and- <laughs> you still have him. 
Yes. So what was that experience like? Because a lot of us don't have the facilities that we want. We, we want to be able to do this work. We want to be able to work. We want to learn. Um, we think, okay, we need to join up pen. We need a round pen, but we don't have that. Could we take some of the elements of what you did with Shy Boy and maybe do it in a field? Of course, I tell people that all the time. But a round pen, you know, if my elements, uh, my concepts are to go into perpetuity, if they're to go into the next generation, there will be round pens. There, there will be round pens if that's what works. Mm. And they're, they are cropping up in England. They're cropping up in Scandinavia and in Germany. Um, so that, that'll happen. Um, do you know what we need to do, Monty? We need to get onto the councils and say, can you quit telling us we're not allowed to put them up? Because they're the ones that are the problems. They're telling you you can't have a round pin? Yeah, the councils, they, you know, they get really funny about what you do with the land. And if you have anything up for a certain amount of time, you have to move it. The English councils are ridiculous. Well, uh, I know a lot of people that have round pins in, um, they call them lunge pens or mm. lunge rings in, in England. And uh, I see more happening all the time. And of course, there's two different companies there making portable ones. Um, so... That shouldn't be any problem. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, a portable one would be amazing. I, I do my, all of my tour dates are done with portable round pins. Oh, okay. Do you take them around with you or are they, are they already available when you, when you get there? They go right on the lorry, right with us. Ah, oh, okay. So while we're talking about Join Up then, can you give us a, a brief overview of what exactly it is? Well, join up to be defined is that moment in time when the horse chooses to be with you instead of away from you. They're a flight animal, and they can't lie. So if they come to you, they trust you. If they go away, it's because they don't trust you. So what you do is you create um, a conversation in their language whereby they give you back gestures because it's a silent language, much like signing for the deaf. They give you back these answers, and when, and I teach my people, when it's right, then you give them a certain gesture, which invites them in, and here they come. And when they're in, it's good, and when they're out, it's work. And so they choose good. And they come to you, they follow you around, they are at one with you in terms of trust. And that's how it's helping the military people that come home from war with post-traumatic stress. Mm. It's helping them learn to trust again. And I'm, I may have military people with me. My first tour date in England uh, is March 5, uh, going over there now, and that's at Hadlow College in Kent. And I'm, I'm told that I might have a um, military person coming there. And the second one is on the 11th at Southview up in Cheshire, and it's an old building. Both of those buildings we've been in many, many times. And I love them to death. And we get the same sort of crowd coming each time. It's, it's a lot of fun. And Southview and Cheshire, they're working on seeing if they can get a military person to come in there too. So that we can show the audience that this is not just a communication between human and horse. But that the human to human aspects of life can be improved with the use of the same techniques. And then on the 19th, I go down to Kingston Marward College in Dorset. Mm-hmm. And I've never been there before. I don't oh, know. Are you kidding? It's amazing. It's stunning it's, there. And okay. you're, you're with Martin Clunes, aren't you? Oh. 
He does a lot in Dorset. He will cause me to have so much fun on that night because <laughs> I've met him many, many times before. Uh, we've become close friends and he's just a fantastic guy. And uh, he's going to be there with me. And he goes in the round pen and he does his thing, you know, <laughs> uh, in front of the audience. And um, generally something quite negative happens. And then he stands with that innocent look at his face and the people just get a, a real kick out of it. Because he really makes makes it real for them in that um, if they're going to start, they'll make mistakes too, you know. And mm. uh, Martin is just a great guy. And Philippa, his wife, just they're just great people. And they just adore their horses. You know, he's done a lot in, in Dorset for the horses. There's the, um, the Heavy Horse Centre. He works very closely with them. And he's he's been really good at promoting the equestrian industry, but in a real positive light. You know, it's all about natural, it's all about soft, it's all about being gentle and quiet with the horses. Debbie was um, has been communicating with me for the past couple of days about this uh, uh, University of Suffolk study that they've done. Yes, I heard about this as well. It's been in, all over the newspapers about the horse um, emotions, whether they can tell the difference between human emotions based on their facial expressions. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> is this something you've been saying for years? I mean, I, I, I discovered these things in 1942. Yes. And I have been that length of time trying to get people to agree that these things are true. That it's a language, that it's a gesture language. They see it. They recognize our pulse rates. They recognize our adrenaline levels. Mm -hmm. They recognize the movements we make, the direction and the speed of movement. They, they watch our fingers, and they're particularly interested in our eyes and our eye movement. And people just scoff at me and say, oh, come on, that's voodoo stuff. Well, I'm telling you that I have 24 deer in the family group, wild deer in the family group that I work with right now. And um, they're the ones that really put the finishing touches on my education because they have about a hundred times the sensitivity of a horse. And I congratulate these people for the study they, they're doing, but these things were commonplace with me for the mm. past 74, 75 years. Um, well, I'm not surprised. I, I think even for the amateurs like us um, that, that aren't even, you know, half as experienced, we can see those little elements when we're with our horses. You know, you see you put a child near them and some horses will be gentle with that child. And you can tell, you can see fear in their eyes. You can see, like you said, with your join up, if they don't want to come near you, then that's a that's a classic sign. The problem is the humans ignore those signs. And they exactly. say, oh, it's just being, in the UK, we call it nappy. They, we call it, they're napping. They just, they're, they're spinning, they're bucking, they're rearing, they're bolting. They're just being a nappy horse. Well, you know what I was saying earlier about um, we get stuck in our ways and we don't like to learn? Because I, I came to this at a very late age for, for most riders. I came at the age of 28. I decided to get into riding and horses. I think I came with quite a naive perspective in my head. I was saying, well, why, why don't we learn why the horse is doing that rather than it's just doing that because it's nappy? Yeah. And what about give it a good smack? He just oh, needs a good yeah. hide. Yeah. You know, I mean, what in the world are they thinking about that a flight animal needs to get hit in order to behave? Yes. That is the most imbecilic statement anybody could make. Um, when you hit the flight animal... They want to get away. 
and they are frightened. Um, and you can break them, just as we broke wives in the caves and children too. You can break them into submission, but you don't get a good performance out of a horse that's doing it because they're afraid not to do it. Mm. Um, you get the good performance when you cause the horse to want to do it. Yes. And hitting them, causing them pain, is just ridiculous. It's totally out of the question. And and yet, I'm I'm still put down for for my thoughts on the subject. And um, we will chase some empty trucks in this in this thing. I congratulate these people from the University of Suffolk. Uh, one of the things they said, however, is that they are. It seems as though horses are processing their fear of. Uh, potentially dangerous objects more through the left eye than the right eye. Now, nature made them with the eyes around on the side of their head. And they, and nature made them that way so that they can view virtually the full circle right around them. And do you think that a lion could sneak up on the right eye without the horse taking flight? It's crazy. Yeah, it's not going yeah, to happen, is it? They process exactly the same on both sides. But I congratulate these people for their study because they'll figure that out. Keep doing your study. You'll figure out that it's equal on both sides. There may be some differences left to right that we can note in all of this. Congratulations to them for giving it a good solid try. I, I have no problem with that at all. It's about time that we started making sense of this activity that we have called horsemanship. Um, do you think that maybe it might the the reason that the horse's heart rate went up when the pictures were shown was because of the the human's heart rate and the way the human was acting when they put up those pictures? I could change their heart rate if I if you kept my pictures blank. <laughs> yeah. If you gave me a blank sheet of paper, I could change their heart rate. I all I have to do is drive mine up, and theirs will go up too. Mm. They are animals of synchrony. And these wonderful young people at Suffolk University will eventually discover, if they keep on this track, they will eventually discover that horses are animals of synchrony. And nature made them that way because if they synchronize with the predator without even knowing they're doing it, and maybe it's from 20, 30, 40 meters away, they can synchronize then they will get out of there and the predator will eat another animal. So that's how survival of the fittest works. And um, I can uh, put a heart rate monitor on. Mm. I can go in a round pin in any one of my demonstrations. They can put it up on the board so the whole audience can see it and put a heart rate monitor on the horse and a heart rate monitor on my owner. And as I work with my horse, virtually every time, Mine is the lowest, and the owner is the highest. It's amazing. Yeah. You actually watch that happen. And then the owners will say, oh, it's a silly horse, you know, and its mother was the same way, and it gets excited about this, and it gets excited about that, and I watch them open their eyes and get excited about whatever they're talking about, and uh, they, they're causing it themselves. And I'm not blaming them for that. They're human. Hmm. That's what humans do. Uh, I am not. I am no longer human. 
I have become far more equus than human. So we have to take our human emotions and our human thought processes and kind of like chuck them out the window and say, no, you know, we need to think, we need to think like horse. We need to think like a horse and we need to, when we're working with horses, we need to appreciate their needs. We, we're still human and we will live as humans and we'll eat the food of humans and, and so forth and so on. Mm. Uh, we lie down to sleep rather than stand up like a horse does. But we're still human, but we need to respect their needs. And if their needs are that we should get the best uh, partnership with them when we reduce our pulse rate, when we're calm, when we when we're have a low adrenaline level, then that's what we should do. We have to assure them that they're not in, in danger with us. And imagine then how that comports with the traditional way to break a horse, where you start by restricting them, tying them to a post or something, and uh, use a lunge whip and drive them on lines and hobble them, and some people tie them down on the ground and all of that. Just think of what you're putting the horse through. And it's called breaking, and it's breaking is a good name for it. And there's a good reason for the name arriving on the scene, because you break their will to be a horse, and they just become a marshmallow. They become um, some hunk of uh, flesh that has no heart, no soul, uh, they're, then they're broken. Mm. Oh, God, it, it upsets me, to be honest, when I think of things like that. I don't want to think of a horse in pain or, or struggling, you know? I just don't You like... need to. You need to. You know, for the longest time... People wouldn't watch how the Lipizzaners were trained in the Spanish riding school. Mm. They hide their eyes. And I, I took a lot of the truth to Brazil, for instance, and the TV people really hammered me down there because they said that I contrived these things, that actually they didn't happen. Well, we didn't look in enough. As a society, we, we hid our eyes. We didn't want to see it. Bring the horse around when it's trained. We need to get our spine stiff and see these things for what they really are and then change them. Well, look at the Tennessee walking horses. You know, they're, they're so badly treated. How, how do you feel about those? You know, I traveled to Kentucky mm. and Tennessee. And I went to a place called Shelbyville, Tennessee for a, a man who had the best Tennessee walking horses ever. Because he asked me to come and show how they, they could be done without violence. Okay. I went there, and do you know that the, the social media hammered me? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, what are you doing? You can't go and visit with those people. You are enabling those people with your visits to them. And you are the horrible human being that should be shot. This is terrible. Uh, Monty Roberts is off my list. Because I went there to try to help them. And I, I put back on the internet that they're absolutely right. You're right. I, I was a very bad boy to go there. And I never should go to a prison again. Domestic abuse centers. Imagine how horrible the people are there. Mm. I never should go to a, a military post-traumatic stress clinic. Those are, those are people that are really messed up. The thing is, if you don't go, then how can you help and make things better? If, you, if you're not at the forefront saying this is going on and making people aware of it, then it's never going to get better. That's what I'm saying. So I don't want you to turn your eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I, you can be upset. I'm upset every time I, I see this kind of thing. But we must look in. We've got to be strong. We've got to look in and say, no, this is not acceptable. So what do we do, Monty, when we see somebody that's, you know, they might not be mistreating their horse, but they're not treating it as well as it should be treated, you know? Uh, uh, what, well, it's, it's, uh, you know what I do. I mean, I can't go up to people and say, you're doing wrong, you should do it this way. I can't do that. I will be shot. Mm. Uh, it's not my business. But I can demonstrate. I can be a role model. I can let the horse do the talking for me. Eventually, I'm making a difference, a huge difference globally. So, and I'm proud of that. But it has to be done incrementally. You can't just stand up in their face and and go at them. That's what they're doing. That's the the method that they're using. You know, I was going to shoot my father. Mm. I was definitely going to shoot him. I have the, the gun is about twenty feet from me right now. I was going to shoot him, and it was a grammar school teacher, a primary school teacher, that convinced me that that would not be a good idea and that I would never reach my potential if I was the no, known as the boy who shot his father. Yes. She also said that if you shoot him, you'll be using the same techniques on him that he's using on you. And that stopped me cold. And I didn't shoot him, and I'm pleased that I didn't shoot him. But I still have the rifle. It, it's with me. And I, I learned that I just keep working. I make a good example. I allow the horses to do the talking. I won nine world championships with horses. And and look at the racehorses I've had. The world's best racehorse uh, two different times in the world. And um, many, many national and, and, and regional championships with over 700 international stakes winners on my training list, just in racing. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Western was my 
my genres. Western was my home discipline. So these things happened because I met the needs of the horses I was dealing with. And it, if I keep making that example, I will make a change. I am making a change. You have to admit things are changing. And uh, now things are changing and people don't even know that I'm the one that changed them. <laughs> really? What things, what things are happening that they don't realize it's you? Well, one thing is the way Western horses are taught to spin to work the cow. Mm -hmm. I was the first person to ever have a horse turn that way. It's a totally different way from what we trained when I was a child. And it wasn't until I was about oh, 19 or 20 that this, this information came to me from a guy called Ray Thomas, who was a stuntman in the movies, and he was showing a cutting horse on the weekends. And he discovered something about the way a horse should turn. And I took it to another level, and I won two world championships on a horse with this new style of turning. Mm. Now, every Western horse on the face of this earth turns that way. And yet, when I talk to people, they don't know that I was the one that started that. It just it just worked so well that it got away quick with itself, and people learned to do it. They saw it, and it scored higher in the contests. And I won uh, nine world championships uh, in the Western genre. And uh, a lot of those things were my discoveries. And some of them, the most recent ones, are students of my discoveries. That's a wonderful thing, because if it takes on another generation, then we're re really making progress. So what are your thoughts on, on the competition world at the moment? Because the competition world, I see it as, as quite a hard place. Um, I don't see much relaxation, especially in, in dressage. Um, I don't, I'm struggling with it. I, I always wanted to compete when I was little, but I'm going to competitions and thinking, you know, your horses, it, it needs a rest. It needs some time out. It needs a, it needs a more of a bond. It, it, to me, it doesn't look happy or settled. Okay. okay, so if I were sitting here and I made you the czar of um, all things to do with dressage, mm -hmm. what, would you, what would you do to change it? What would I do? That's a really interesting question. I would take out extra aids that people use to make the horse do that. So, you know, when they make the horse have his head down, they make the horse have its head in, they make the horse work in a difficult position. It's To me, it looks forced. And part of dressage is that you need to have a natural, soft, supple horse. Um, but I'm seeing these competitions. And I'm not talking about like the FEI or... At the Olympics, I'm talking about Grand Prix um, or just under Grand Prix, pre-St. George. Um, I saw a stallion the other day and there was no partnership with that horse owner. It was the horse owner, the rider was very stiff. And I'm not, I'm not even a great rider, Monty, so I probably shouldn't even be judging. No, but, but let me chime in now. Did that, did, did that person win anything in the competition? Yeah, she came second. And I thought, Second. what judge is going to judge on that on that relationship? But you know why? Because they don't judge on the re relationship or the partnership of the horse. So I think that's what I would change. I would do. I would. Okay. Uh, it would be about Good. the relationship. Let me, let me, yeah. Okay. Let me let me let me help you with that now for a moment. Uh, that sounds bad, but I I I think I can help. Um. So that was second. What 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 about the one that won it? Was the one that won it just as bad or? The one that won it, and this is going to sound awful to say, 
um, was a very young girl on a very, very experienced horse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get the 60 grand horses, the young girl comes along, she's only just gone off ponies and she's popped on that horse. And yes, she knows the moves and that's great. But I'm not being funny, Monty. I've been in the circus. I can I can get a horse to move its leg left and right, you know, when it's already taught how to do that. But for you yep. to actually train your horse to do that with you is a, on a whole nother level. Okay, we're on the same page here because... Um, just let me tell you, what, that little girl was more harmonious with her horse than the second one that was second, though, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. Let me tell you that when I was a child, in the 40s, they had a war. And the, the white stallions were moved to Hungary, weren't they? Mm-hmm. They were hidden out. And they came back to Vienna right after the war. And at... Um, a movie, it wasn't tapes then, it was a movie, mm-hmm. went around to all the schools on the training of the Great Stallions, the return of the Great Stallions to Vienna, the, the, the Lipitzan. And that movie, I tried to get it, it was pulled away and burned because they showed the training of the Lipitzaner horses. And I wanted the world to see it, but they pulled it and burned it. But the paintings are still there. The photographs are still there of how those horses were trained. Mm. Now, I have to tell you that three or four Olympics ago, what you're complaining about, and I would too, Mm. was much more prevalent than it was in the London Olympics. And the London Olympics were won, the gold medal was won, by a little girl, as you know. Yes. Yeah. Pré de Jean or whatever. Charlotte Desjardins. Desjardins. And she won. And there was a very accomplished person that got the silver medal with a very good horse that, in my opinion, 10 years earlier would have been the gold medal. Right, yeah. But the judges said that Charlotte showed with her horse more harmony. There was less demand. There was less pulling. There were less arguments as they went through their entire litany of performance during the Olympics. Mm. And in my opinion, dressage, subsequent to my first book, has moved to a much softer discipline, a, a much more violent, free discipline. And I have to tell you that it is whatever we set up that gets the high score that is what they will decide to do later. They will push the horses to do whatever it is that we give them a high score for. So you're absolutely right. That's where we need to work is on what we set up as the degree of excellence, what we set up as the model, and anything that you can do to influence those judges' schools is fair play. Now, how did they get the Tennessee walking horses and why did they get the Tennessee walking horses to lift their front feet four feet off the ground and travel with their hind legs clear up under them in some weird sort of way? Mm. How did they get them to do that? Well, it's a kind of a natural tendency for those Tennessee walkers to do just that. And so the first one that did it to a degree got a higher score than the others. And then all these good old boys standing around said, how can I get mine to do it that way? 
well, you could do this and you could do that. And pretty soon we had a foot that was four times its normal length. And we had acid on its tendons so that they got sore and they jerked their legs up higher. Mm. And we got whips behind their hocks to drive their hind legs up under them because that's what got the high score. It's crazy. So, and so what I was back in Shelby, ten, Shelbyville, Tennessee, telling them is change what you want and want something more harmonious. And that when you see scars on a horse's legs from abuse that he's had, he's out of the ring. Hmm. That's well, they, the thing. That's the thing. They don't punish them for that. So Well, uh, they're punishing them now. Oh, and great. It's, it's, it's coming to a close. And I'm arranging at the moment to speak with the leader of our Senate on a bill that's going through to ban these people for life once they're caught doing this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. but, but he's trying to avoid me because it's not politically in his favor to, uh, to, to sign the bill. So I'm going to try to do that. But you and I are having the same conversation that I have with myself every time I put my head on the pillow at night. It's a bit of an insane world. Sometimes you feel like you're fighting a losing battle. Sometimes I feel like people around me act like I'm the crazy one. And all I can think is you guys are crazy. Like, how can you, how can you possibly think that the way that horses are treated so far? I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's the, it's amazing where we've come from, from the way that horses used to be treated in the 1920s. And, you know, we've come and that's down to you. Without a doubt, and, and what you're doing is getting out there and getting as many people to know that treating horses in a nice way is the best way to go. You get more out of them. I mean, I know horses are separate to humans, but if I'm nice to you, you're generally going to be nice back to me. If I'm horrible to you, well, you're not going to want to speak to me. And, well, and it's, in, it, it's in our own best interest to cause the horse to want to. It's in our own best interest. And we need to set up things that show that it's in our own best interest. Our issue is we don't know how to. So I think a lot of this is being uneducated. So you tell them to come and see me yeah. at Low College and Southview College or whatever it is, uh, South uh, Equestrian Centre, and at Kingston Marwood, Dorset. Here we will. Get me some people to come. And and I'm 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 going to be there at 81, almost 81, still doing this crazy stuff. And um, you know, most horse breakers are finished in their 30s. Uh, they can't do that anymore. So uh, I I have changed the world. I am fighting a losing battle because the day I die, I'll still have things short of the mark. I will still have things that I should have done. But I'm leaving people like you behind me and my other students that I have here. I'm leaving you behind to say this work is good and here's the reasons. And even the people that I've never even met from, uh, uh, from Suffolk University are already working on making sure that it's known. You know what, Monty, though, it's not, it's not a losing battle. I think what, the battle will always be ongoing because we'll find something else. So there's so much passion and so much love there that it's never going to be enough. <laughs> we're always going to find something. Well, there's else. well, that's that's the way the world is. <laughs> we're we're not, there's no end um, to to our lives. We we just uh, keep going, and everything that we do is projected into someone else's life so that it goes on, mm. whether it's good or bad. Um, Absolutely. But we have moved so far away from violence in in, in handling horses. 
we do have a lot to do, and we're a long way from getting it right. But um, yeah, we can we can we can have a little sip of champagne on celebrating the um, the good things that we've done. Oh my gosh, it's like a little leak. That's like fifty bottles. It's amazing what you've achieved, and and the changing people's mindsets is the hardest thing to do and changing people's mindsets of people that are actually stuck in their ways and getting them to see a new a new way of doing things you would have said 40 years ago that that's impossible you have done the impossible yeah but um, be fair about this too that i was going along basically only in inches and when her majesty endorsed my work that caused me to move in miles instead of inches. Mm. So when we can work with those who influence, it increases our ability to to get the word out. So I've got to thank her for uh, an enormous difference in my life, uh, a positive difference in my life. And she loves horses, and she wants the best for horses. So it's synergistic, working together and it's so much fun, uh, <laughs> having more fun than I ever had in my life when I was uh, young and able to have fun. <laughs> and I've just got to ask you a couple of questions from some of our followers, our Horse Hour followers, which um, I thought they were really interesting questions, actually. Um, when you've done join-up for the first time on a horse, do you have to then repeat join-up, or do they always remember it? Well, you know, I've, I've written a textbook. It's called From My Hands to Yours. And it's with me at every um, one of these demonstrations. And there's a whole thing on that in there. And it's a chapter. I won't be able to give you every uh, nuance of it. But um, the average horse, uh, well, all horses know join up. It's their language, not ours. Mm -hmm. So we doing join up with them, communicating with them, when we get it right, when we've learned it, um, we need to repeat it about four times with the average horse and they they have it down cold and and it's done its 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 job for you and then you live through the principles of join up for the balance of the horse that means you don't just go in its loose box and snap on and start pulling it around you walk in there look it in the eye drop your eyes turn your shoulders a little bit let them take a step to you and then you clip on and you're together so you live by the principles of join-up for the life of the horse. Now, some horses might take 10 or 12 join-ups to get to that four join-up spot. But most horses are okay after four or five join-ups. After that, it becomes a, a thing where you're just telling the same story repeatedly, and it becomes a bit boring for them, and they get a little tired of it. Um, so that might be seven. It might be eight. Generally, it's about four when when you've done done the good job. So I get really emotional talking about this because um, I had a, I've got a horse who's six years old, and he was quite badly abused before I had him and I only found out after I bought him because of the previous injuries that I found well the injuries that I found that were scarred that you could see how long he'd had them internally before and so I couldn't ride him for two years and I, I did join up um, within the first two weeks of having him and I swear he is the most trusting horse for somebody that didn't trust anybody and had all this you know negative negative life before 
his connection is is unreal and his trust and his willingness and his love you can see it in his eyes it's and, and that moment that he dropped his head I um I burst into tears Monty and I still get really you know I, I still get really emotional thinking about it because it's not until you get that connection and well it's not even a connection you you understand them and you think finally I you know I I'm understanding you it's just like a feeling like no other well yeah and I fully understand I the Philly that I just came up to this um meeting with you from um was at the racetrack and the owner had me on the phone this morning while I was working with the filly. And he described a situation whereby she arrived the first time at the starting stalls. And it was brand new to her. And she's a very sensitive filly with an enormous amount of talent. They already knew that she could really run. Okay, so she's worthwhile and gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. So she didn't want to go in that thing. So pretty soon, one one of the people in charge said, get a hold of an ear. <sighs> so they turned her ear down. And you twist the ear down enough, and you cause so much pain that they almost go catatonic. They almost go into a state of unconsciousness. Mm. And it's like putting a twitch on, you know, twisting the nose till it's so painful that they just freeze. Well, then pretty soon he had a man on the other ear. So they had two men on her ears, twisted down, and and pulling her along toward the starting stall. Then a blindfold, so she couldn't see it. Poor little thing. Yeah, and then they had a girth with rings on it behind her, with two men pulling from behind, and a rider on her, Hmm. with a whip. And then a man comes along with a lunge whip. And starts whipping her hind legs. And they got her inside. And then he said, now everybody turn loose of all these bits and pieces you have hold of. And she's inside this thing panicking. And the rider jumps off because she starts flailing away, kicking and striking out. And she injures all four legs. Mm. And she jams herself against the side of this thing, trying to fight the sides with uh, claustrophobia so bad, that she tore huge chunks of flesh out of her right hip. And they cracked the gates open behind her that were holding her in, and she flipped right over backwards out of the thing, and then was standing there almost unconscious with the ears straight down and in terrible pain. Mm. that's what I inherited and that's where I have to go now and try to reintroduce her to a world that she doesn't want any part of those are the jobs I have to do and um, yes I will try to educate the people that are in her life along with it and um, let her express herself otherwise they'll just put her down and how's it going with her now I've had three days and it is super I had her in an enclosure this morning, and she was licking and chewing and and um, having a good conversation with me. I have a whole team of people working with her quietly. She has not even had the slightest uh, strike of any pain since she's been here. She's had no chains over her nose. They had chains over her gums. Mm. Uh, 
one on each side so that the guys could pull her along and her gums were were damaged by these chains passing over there so i mean they're still doing that kind of thing it's sad to say on the face of this earth you know all horses are neophobic it means that they cannot tolerate anything new mm -hmm. and they walk her up to starting stalls that she'd never seen before and she's sensitive and she said no i'm not going in there that that could be terrible yeah and that set them off on the course that they chose and it's just unreal but well they shouldn't be allowed to have horses should they um, right, I have taken up so much of your time already, Monty, but I do know that we need to talk about your university. So I'd like to introduce Debbie, who's Monty's daughter, and she's going to explain to us exactly how you can get on to Monty's Equus online university course. We have a code just for you, but we want to explain it properly. So Debbie, how can we log on and, and get access to all Monty's videos? Thanks so much for asking, Amy. I appreciate it. It's fun to be on your show. So I definitely wanted to make sure that everybody listening to the podcast get the same advantage that those that click into a Twitter feed will be launching this on Twitter, I understand, too, for Horse Hour, right? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so it's easy when it's on Twitter because there will be a direct link that is just for Horse Hour listeners, you know, but... If you're listening to this right now and you're mucking a stall or you're grooming your horse or whatever you're doing for horse hour, then I want you to think about MontyRobertsUniversity.com. I know your fingers are going to want to do .co.uk, but it's not. It's .com. MontyRobertsUniversity.com. And then there's going to be a little registration page, and that's where you'll look for the place to put the promo code. And Amy's promo code is Horse Hour. It's really easy. All one word like that, Horse Hour, all lowercase. And you know what? You don't have to give up a credit card. If you see that little spot, just don't. Skip that and go right to the promo code part and you'll get a week's access to it. So I've been a bit naughty and I went on today and I've put in my details and I put in the horse hour promo code and there's a whole bunch of videos there of, of, of educational videos of how we can learn Monty's techniques, your techniques, and um, we can learn from that. You know, I would describe it as the language of the horse. Because I think the most important thing that Monty learned, Dad had the advantage of uh, not getting into horse business until he was four. <laughs> and, then, and then at age seven, he was really clicking. And um, he really, he rejected his dad's heavy-handedness, you know, in the, in the training courses and thought it wasn't necessary and began as a, as a small child. I know it's going to be hard. You have to read the book. <laughs> so we, we set out with this uh, Monty Roberts University, we set out to be an immersion course for the language Equus, which is actually in the news right now. I think you might have seen this article that's going around uh, about, um, wow, the scientists have figured out that the horses actually can cross-species communicate with us. Yay, they figured it out. <laughs> All us horse people knew that, though, didn't we? But, yeah, you know, gestural languages. And it takes, just like learning French, you know, it takes a bit of an immersion course. So that's why we have actually over 380 lessons up there now. 380? Yeah, I know. It's and just don't me. you put one up every week? We do every Wednesday. A new one goes up. But so many people are still trying to catch up that it doesn't really matter. Just jump in there wherever you like because we don't. We're very choice-based, just like with horses, right? We're very choice-based, and we want people to jump in wherever they are with their skill level. It is for all skill levels, because we have people that are amazing horse people, but they don't know much about the concepts. Um, 
you know, of, of, of the gestural language of horses, and it's like signing for the deaf, right? It's mm-hmm. when horses see open fingers, it means go away. That's a claw, you know, and instinctually they go, woo. So suffice it to say that if they get on and they have a look around, they will see that it's it, our goal is to get them in a cellular level understanding the language of the horse, which is silent. And it, we, our body language says so much more than you ever know. And then they say so much back to us once you start learning their language. So we log on to montyrobertsuniversity.com. Pop in our own special promo code, which is Horse Hour, and then we have access to all that knowledge, all that years of experience. And it's great. It's really good, Debbie, because you guys are in California and we're in the UK and Monty's great at doing his clinics and coming over here. Um, but we can't always access him. But now we can. So we just go online and I, I'm presuming that if we have any questions, can we are there people that we can ask? Yes, there's a support tab right on the side, a little gold button that says support, and guess who you get? Me. <laughs> you! Amazing! You get me, but I'll just take it to Dad. You know, if it's a unique question that I can't answer, I, I'm i just a facilitator and get it right back to him, because I want to hear it from the horse's mouth, as they say. <laughs> so how can we follow you guys on Twitter? Please do. Yeah, it's Monty underscore Roberts on Twitter and uh, Facebook. He has a Facebook page too, so that's Facebook.com and Monty Roberts. And then, um, you know, I hope that we do a cross uh, promotion too on Horsemanship Radio, HorsemanshipRadio.com. We'd love to, you know, have an interview go back and forth because I think us podcasters got to stay together. We do. A little bit. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you <laughs> yeah. so much. Gosh, we could talk. I think we could talk the end off a hind horse. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Debbie. So um, how can we find your podcast as well? So we can go on to iTunes. Yeah, you can go into iTunes and search horsemanshipradio.com or Horsemanship Radio. Um, or you can actually get an app from the Horse Radio Network, which will put me straight on to you because we're one of the shows on the Horse Radio Network, which is um, Horse Radio Network is, is winning some awards. They're the top five podcasts on earth right now the network oh wow Uh, yeah so they have lots of shows on there and we're the um we're the easiest show because we're horsemanship we don't have to do dressage we don't have to do jumping you know they have all these specific discipline shows but we can do anything we want so So, um we're more um a broader subject but it's a lot of fun we have a lot of fun people on that i think listeners might get turned on to thank you so much debbie thanks for coming on it was fun amy thank you very much i've already been on monty i've been on your university today and uh looking at all your videos and there's just so much in there i don't even know where to start yeah there's 370 or something up there now Mm -hmm. and and a new one goes up every week so it it isn't that you none of us know everything and i have Two things that I uh, am looking at right now on my property here in California that I want to do uh, lessons on. And um, so we just keep trying to up the bar as we go and bring you more and more lessons, um, selecting those things that are slightly different from the ones that are there before, uh, but they are archived in in uh, categories. So if your horse is napping, it's this. If your horse is shy, uh, spooking of things, it's that. 
So those are all the things that you feature in your clinics as well. So I'm just going to go over your clinics um, again so that we all know exactly when you're coming to town. So March the 5th is Hadlow College in Kent. March the 11th is Southview in Cheshire. And then March the 19th is Kingston Moorwood in Dorchester. That's the one with Martin Clunes. And that's the one that I'm going to. Oh, good. Monty, it's just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for bringing out all of these things. It's time that we get to work on it, huh? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, listen, you have a great day, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in March. Thank you, Amy. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Horse Hour. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Monday is going to be a corker because we're speaking to the one and only Lucinda Fredericks. So if there's anything you want me to ask, any budding question that you think, if I had the chance to speak to Lucinda Fredericks, what would I ask? Please send us a tweet at Horse Hour. We also have a bonus episode this week. Comes out on Wednesday. Steve went down to visit Remus Memorial Horse Sanctuary in Essex. They provide lifetime help and care for horses, ponies, donkeys, goats, sheep, cows and cats. You name it, they look after them. But sadly, most of these animals were victims of physical and mental abuse. And Remus never put an animal down. They never euthanize an animal for old age or infirmity alone so what they need to do is give special care they need to have the knowledge and the experience of looking after animals in their old age so that's where we come in because steve's gone to visit them and he's going to share their story and the great things that they do at remus all the volunteers and also they're going to be giving you advice on how to look after your animals in old age so don't miss that that's wednesday and i'll speak to you next week You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern, by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.